following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. The theme, as you've been hearing, hopefully, of this morning is chosen. And I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I hear the word chosen, it makes me think of this, the chosen one. Isn't it true that we're surrounded by all these stories, books, movies, TV series, and they all seem to feature a character who is plodding their way through a very normal sort of mundane existence. And then by the fulfillment of some sort of prophecy or, or, or a soothsayer or someone, somehow they discover, I'm not ordinary. I'm special. I'm the chosen one. Now, we're surrounded by these stories, and I pulled off uh, Google uh, images, just a few images of some of the, my favorite chosen one characters. Right? Do you guys recognize this person? <laughs> All right, Harry Potter. He's living under the stairs, right? Just, just struggling his way through life. Doesn't know what this scar is about, but, and then I'm actually the chosen one. And my life from this point is going to be extraordinary, right? We love that story, don't we? Who's this person? Luke Skywalker, right? He's there on Tatooine. He's just a farmhand. Doesn't really want to be there. Dragging his way through life. And then, now, it's a little bit different with Luke. We don't find out until a few movies in that he is the last Jedi. He is the only one that can do what Luke does, right? But he, he's the same sort of thing. Everything's dull and plain. But then suddenly, and I think we're going to find out that Obi-Wan was living close to him on Tatooine for a very special purpose. Aren't we going to find that out soon? <laughs> okay, so, but you get the picture. Who's this person? Mr. Anderson. That's Neo. In fact, Neo is an anagram for one. Why? Because he is the chosen one. He's working his horrible job in a cubicle and he finds out that his whole reality is not real and there's something very special about Neo. He's the chosen one. And my personal favourite, last one. Who's this? Frodo. It's Frodo. He's just this little hobbit. You know, He's living in Hobbiton, going through life. Turns out he is the only one who can carry the ring of power. And from that point, his life is extraordinary. He finds out that he is called, and only he is called, to a particular extraordinary path. We love those stories. And I don't know about you, but I've got a feeling that these stories that we consume and we are surrounded by unconsciously or subconsciously convince us that we're not chosen. That we're one of those normal people. And we're waiting to find out what this lightning bolt scar means. We're waiting to find out that Darth Vader is our dad. We're waiting to find out, you know, we're going to take the red or the blue pill. Like, you know, we're waiting to find out. We want Gandalf to come to us and say, you're the only one who can do this thing. And we're lulled into a sense of just living on Tatooine, working the farm, under the stairs, in the computer cubicle job. But we know if we are followers of Jesus, 
We are chosen. We are cho- if you have nailed your flag to the mast and said, I am a follower of Jesus, I look to Christ, you are chosen for something extraordinary. Do you know that? You are chosen for something extraordinary. And I've, I've pulled this verse out of the Bible. It says Matthew twenty two fourteen. And I don't know about you, but I believe that God speaks to us through the Bible. Anyone else? I believe that these words in this text, whether they're on your phone or your iPad or in a paper book, God speaks through these words. And Matthew 24, 14 tells us, For many are called, but few are chosen. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for everyone. He calls everyone, but few are chosen. And I think those of us who say, All right, God, your way, not my way. We are chosen. And we must recognize that reality. Another verse from the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that we have been chosen. And isn't it so easy, especially when we're surrounded by stories that tell us you have to wait until you've got a lightning bolt on your forehead before something really extraordinary happens. Now, I believe this is true. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are called and respond, we are chosen for something extraordinary, something that people who have not been chosen, yet they have been called, they will, their jaws will drop with the extraordinary lives we lead. I believe that's true. It should be. It should be. What about this verse? Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So when we realize we are chosen, we are chosen for what? What are we chosen for? And that's the great adventure of life. What am I chosen for? But I believe this is true. We must be called to compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, not to the level that's sort of normal throughout society, because actually the Kiwi society compared to some I've lived in is actually pretty good at some of this stuff. But we would be called to a level of that that is beyond our human capacity. We would be called to this life that's characterized by compassion, mercy, that is beyond the ordinary. I'm talking to the level of Jesus dying on the cross level. We will be portals through which God's love flows to an extraordinary level that cannot be denied. We can make a difference. Don't think you're just living under the stairs waiting for something. The call is here. You are chosen. How do we lead extraordinary lives? And understand we live in a world that uses the word love to say things like, oh, I love pizza. I love Billie Eilish. But we're talking about we should be portals of a love that is Jesus dying on the cross love, an extraordinary love. A self-sacrificial love. A love that doesn't count the cost. A love that thinks of others before we think of self. And that's not humanly possible. We need God to fill us for that.
That's my little boy, Max, who you saw a photograph of him a moment ago. He's 13. So this is about 10 years ago, all right? And I think this is super cool that we had a baby dedication here this morning. So if I was going to give you any advice, parents, for raising kids, I'm going to tell you some advice that my wife gave me very early on when Max was about this age. We realized that, and I couldn't think of this stuff, right? My, my wife, Brooke, she's brilliant. She saw me sort of correcting Max. He would do something wrong, and I'd try to get him to just stop it, you know? It ended up being a me against him. He's drawing on the wall, you know? Max, don't draw on the wall. Stop drawing on the wall. You mustn't do that. And Brooke said, no, no, what you've got to do is you've got to give him choice, right? You can say, Max, you may not draw on the wall, but you can draw on this paper, or you can draw on the whiteboard. See the difference? Parents, see the difference? And it was just amazing what a change that was. I started into integrating that into my parenting, and it was transformative for Max. He still felt honoured. He still felt loved. He still felt that he had some level of control. And let's be honest here, Kiwis, as compared to the American schooling system that I'm used to anyway, what we prize in this country is raising children who will make the right choices, aren't we? We don't necessarily just want them to be stuck between the borders of life. We want them to be people who grow up to be making good choices. And so as early as we can, we've got to let them taste that, making some choices. It empowers them and it works out so much better. I don't want to have fights with my kids. You Stop that. Don't do that. Why? Because I said so. That doesn't work. Give a child choice. We all want some choices, don't we? We want to be trusted to make the right choices. Which reminds me, when Max was about that age, there was a situation where I wasn't home, but Brooke had a situation with little Max like this. And he said, Mum, can I please have a spoon to drink my milk? And Brooke said, no, you may not have a spoon. You can have a straw or you can drink it straight from the glass. And Max said, and this is a quote, Mum, can you please tell me my choices again, but this time with spoon is one of them? <laughs> Three-year-old kid, four-year-old kid are out there. Amazing. So you see how we start and get the idea. And I want these choices. And I think we all want choices. We want more choices. But here's the thing. Too many choices is no good for us. Children need choices. But too many choices debilitates us. It makes us go to, go to sleep. In fact, one way of defining poverty is a person who has so few choices, very few choices, maybe no choices. A definition of excess, overabundance, is too many choices. And I believe that us in New Zealand, we are oversaturated with choices. It sends us to sleep. It helps us forget that we are chosen for something extraordinary. I don't know about you, but I'm the sort of person who can open my wardrobe and look at all these clothing choices. Yes, I've got a lot of shirts, not one. <laughs> and I can look at the wardrobe and go, like, I've got 12 pairs of shoes. And go, oh, there's nothing to wear. I need more choices. You know what I mean? I can open a refrigerator and look at my pantry and go, oh, there's nothing to eat. It's overwhelmed with food, but I can't choose. And I don't want any of this. I want more. I can be flicking through Netflix and Apple TV, and still go, oh, there's nothing to watch. We can have so many choices. 
we end up dulling the call of God that tells us we are chosen for something extraordinary. We end up ineffective. Too many choices. Too many choices. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, this morning at Shore, we're going to be doing something extraordinary. Something that I, I can hardly contain myself. I'm super excited about this. And we're part of an event that's called Chosen. And this is only possible through the work of World Vision. Now, I'm sure that in a church group this side, there are many of us in this room who have at least heard of World Vision. Just give me a little nod if that's you. You've heard of World Vision. Keep nodding a little bit more vigorously. If you already sponsor kids through World Vision, yeah, that's many of us. I get it. This is a generous group. I did a little bit of research. You're a generous bunch. You do a lot of good stuff. But this morning, there's a particular and extraordinary opportunity to allow a child to make some extra choices. But to do that, we'll have to do it without a couple of our own. Passing some of our choices to a child who has so few from our overabundance of choices. And we've got a short movie from my friends at World Vision. Now, understand this. I'm not on staff with World Vision. But I love what they do so much. I'm so excited to be partnered with them. And I've found that in partnership with World Vision, I can make a difference. I can't solve the world's problems, but it can help me find what I'm chosen for and live something that's moving a little more closely to being extraordinary. So would you give your attention to the screen and listen up? We've got a short movie from World Vision. For the past 60 years, we've been partnering with people like you to help children and communities break free from poverty. But have you ever wondered how we use your community sponsorship money or donations to actually do that? To start, we approach each community we serve the same way, by listening to them. From the very beginning, we sit down with the community's children, families and leaders and listen to what their unique challenges and needs are. Do they need clean water? better schools, a dependable supply of wood, basic health care, local jobs, what opportunities do they see? Next, we work with them to develop a five-year action plan that will address the root causes of their challenges. Once the plan is drafted, we help them put it into action. We work with the existing leaders and empower new ones, bringing the community together to help them address the needs they've identified. And if something in the action plan isn't quite working as well as it should, we go back and change it so it does. But it doesn't stop there. We don't just help a community get the things they need like healthcare, education, clean water, nutritious food, and economic opportunity. We also train them so they know how to best care for and grow these new resources so that they will continue to have them for years to come. When the community has grown healthier, safer and more self-sustaining, then we transition out and move on to the next community in need. By now, the community is a better place for children to live and grow, and they are more equipped to handle emergencies and can even turn around and help their neighbours. From beginning to end, this transformation is made possible because of people like you who are passionate about helping children and communities break free from poverty. And so as someone who's 
not on staff with World Vision. I'm a bit of an outsider, but we're here with a couple of like Barry's at the back there. G'day, Barry. And Katie's here, some people from World Vision who are excited to help us with this chosen event this morning. And that video um, is not just a little commercial break. What we're trying to say is what World Vision promised they do, they do. They do it. Be assured of that. And so those of you who already sponsor a child, um, thank you for that support. But maybe this morning is a chance to consider a second or a third or a 47th. I don't know. But it's going to be different this morning. It's going to be different to how you and I first started sponsoring. You know, I've been involved in child sponsorship in one way or another since the year 2000. And I started advocating um, for organisations like World Vision in different countries around the world, here in New Zealand with World Vision, partly because of something that happened to me when I was in Sonic Flood. Does anyone remember the song, I could sing of your love forever? That was one of Sonic Flood's biggest hits. And we would play that song every night. Every night. And it was a favourite moment of mine in the set because we would stop playing our instruments and get away from our microphones and we'd let the crowd, often thousands and thousands of people, sing that chorus over and again. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. We would often be able to just leave the stage and let them keep singing. Sometimes they'd go for like 15 minutes just singing this beautiful thought. God, your love for us is so wonderful. We want to make music about that for all eternity. One night on stage, a thought hit me in the brain like a truck and my life has not been the same. It was part of me discovering that I'm chosen for something extraordinary. And you might think playing in a band that's got a few hit singles and a couple of awards and gets to play in front of thousands of people is extraordinary. I thought it was at the time too. But while we were singing, I could sing of your love forever, a thought hit me in the brain. And this is the thought, and I believe it was God speaking to me. And I'm very careful to say I believe because I think we can kid ourselves about that sometimes. But while we were singing, I could sing of your love forever, this popped into my head, this sentence, Grant. I never asked you to sing of my love. Instead, I asked you to be my love. Can you imagine that for a pro musician? I'd done a really good job of convincing people to sing of God's love, like we did this morning. But I only want to invite you to sing of God's love. If we find ways of God being God's love, maybe those songs can inspire us to recognize we are chosen to be God's love after the songs have faded, as we leave the auditorium. Be God's love. Don't just sing about it, be about it. And so for many years, I've been doing what you're sort of seeing me do now, asking crowds of people to consider sponsoring a child. I've found that this is actually more my calling than playing bass guitar. As cool as bass guitar is, right, Warren? (laughs) It's even better to say, let's be God's love than say, let's sing about God's love. And I'm passionate about getting people to sing of God's love, right, Anna? I'm passionate, more passionate than ever, actually. I don't think I'm, like, there are many places in the Bible that convince me that we should sing of God's love, but nowhere in the recorded words of Jesus, the one I claim to follow, does he ever ask us to sing of his love, but he asks us to be his love. To our neighbours, to one another, to our enemies, 
and to the least of these. The hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned. When I started speaking about this to crowds many years ago, my partner said, if you choose to say this, you can. Some people don't choose to say this, and I'm I'm not trying to bring a heavy guilt here, but back back about 20 years ago, I was told, if you choose to include this statistic, it's true, 45,000 children die from hunger and hunger-related diseases every day that are totally and easily preventable. We, we know how to stop it, but we just don't. And over the years of me doing this work, my partners have come to me, like World Vision said, we've got to revise that number now. It's 35, now it's 27, now it's, and they've, they've kept me informed. And you know what? Right before, like just a couple of years ago, it got to 17,000 a day. And I'm getting excited. Now, 17,000 is still 17,000 too many, right? Okay? But I'm, I'm getting super excited. I'm going... Extreme poverty and these needless fatalities are going to be solved in my lifetime. That's extraordinary. And I'm getting super excited about that. COVID-19. You know that social distancing and going into lockdown is a privilege of the rich? The number's going up again. For the first time in 40 years... The number of children dying every day is going to go up. We haven't crunched the numbers enough yet. I'm I'm distraught about that. The need is great. And I want to see, I want to play my part in bringing an end to extreme poverty in my lifetime. And maybe it won't happen, but if we do this, if we realize that we are chosen as the church for something extraordinary, not just fitting it in with our busy choice in undated lifestyle, but if we do something extraordinary, maybe we can partner together and solve this. And maybe as we do that, Jesus will become more clear to those who don't yet know him. Over the last couple of months, I've been getting to know a guy named Vitalis, Vitalis Okwako. He lives in Auckland, and um, he lives in Auckland with his wife, Anna. And I did a little bit of Facebook snooping, and I found a nice photograph of their wedding day. It's about four years old, but here they are. Look at these guys. At least, I hope they're here. Here they are. So that's Vitalis on the left, Anna on the right. They've been living in Auckland, and, and Vitalis is an amazing guy. Like, he, he's originally from Kenya, And I've had a couple of meals with him, hung out with him, had a Zoom call with him, met him at at the offices of World Vision, actually. And uh, he was born in rural Kenya, close to Lake Victoria and the border of Uganda, if you know that region at all. I've spent a little bit of time in that part of the world. And uh, he lived a life, as he was growing up through the 80s and 90s, very, very poor. And I, I have asked him with some conversation, you know, when you say poor, what do you mean? Because sometimes I feel poor. You know, I feel poor maybe when I'm a little bit nervous about next month's mortgage payment or maybe I can't afford a steak and I better get the burger. You know, that's sometimes I feel like that. And he's like, no, 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 different, different poor, different sort of poor. And I wrote a whole lot of notes that I'm just going to put down now about I've learned about his life, Vitalis' life. There's a little kid, Vitalis, living with his mum and dad on a little tiny farm 
about the size of a petrol station, one of four siblings, three boys, he's the second boy, and one youngest sister. Four kids. There was rarely enough to eat. Whatever they grew on that little farm, they got to eat. But often there was too much rain, often there was not enough rain. And even though Vitalis and his family would go out into the bush to try and pick certain berries and dig up certain roots and things like that, their diet was never sufficient. My kids choose from five different breakfast cereals or toast every morning. Vitalis had no choice. Sometimes he got some maize, but usually no breakfast. One meal a day was lucky. Sometimes they go days without a meal. He told me, sometimes weeks. Everyone's hungry all the time. They would get water, had to walk several kilometres to get water and bring it back to the house every day, but often that water would make them sick. If any family member got sick, there was no chance of getting proper medical attention, none whatsoever. In fact, Vitalis, one of the most tragic details of his family life is that his mother told him that Yes, we have four children, but I actually gave birth to 12 children. But eight didn't make it. And that's common in this part of Kenya and many other places around the world, even today. Vitalis definitely, des desperately wanted to go to school, but a law had been passed by the Kenyan government that said, you cannot attend our schools unless you have the proper school uniform. His parents couldn't afford the school uniform. So Vitalis seemed to have no choice, no choice, but to stay on the farm and try to eke out enough meals for the family. But then something happened. World Vision moved into that district of Kenya and Vitalis was chosen to be a sponsored child. But it wasn't just about finding a sponsor for Vitalis. World Vision were helping his whole family and his whole community. In fact, if you sponsor a child with World Vision, you must know that that is mainly so you get to write letters, receive letters, and we hope you pray for them. Maybe one day you'll go and visit them, but actually you're supporting the work for the whole community. And Vitalis was part of a community that was being worked on like that and being transformed. Now he had enough to eat. Now he had clean drinking water. If he ever got sick or his community members got sick, they'd get proper medical attention. And Vitalis got to go to school because World Vision bought him the school uniform. Do you know what he told me? He had never worn socks and shoes before in his whole life and he's 13 years old. And he loved his school uniform so much that he would wear it all the time, every day. It's his only, school, only clothing, really. He got to go to school and turns out Vitalis is a clever guy. He was top of the class in primary school, top of the class in high school. And when he aged out of the World Vision program, he had good command of English, a good education, was able to move to Nairobi, the, the, cap, the biggest city in Kenya, get a good job as a security guard, not good by our standards, but a good job. And he is still having a very tough life, may I say. He's got some stories to tell you that I won't, I won't tell you, but... He had a strong sense that God was providing for him through World Vision. God had given him an education and now he had more choices. And he started to live a life of hope, not despair, which seemed to be the only choice before. And now in Nairobi, he starts taking his small income as a hotel security guard and sending money to his parents and to help his siblings go to school. He chose to help others with his few dollars. And then he met Anna, who was in Kenya on a short-term trip to, like she's a believer, like he's a believer. 
and they fell in love. And if you fall in love with a Kiwi girl, you're going to live here. <laughs> and if Vitalis was standing here in front of you, he would tell you if it wasn't for that child sponsorship that happened when he was 13, he is convinced that he'd either be a, crim a criminal, like so many of his peers, dead, possibly from AIDS, or he'd be living a life of despair on a little farm, trying to get it to grow enough food to feed himself and his family members. And he would encourage you to put your hand up this morning and be chosen. Vitalis sees that a particular link between breaking poverty, extreme poverty around the world, and education. He is super passionate about it. If you are chosen, if you recognize you're chosen this morning and you stick your hand up and saying, all right, I'm going to get involved in what Grant Norswood is offering this morning, you will be helping not just one child, not just a community, but you'll be helping to break the cycle of poverty around the world. For Talis today, no kids, maybe yet, I don't know, I didn't ask. But Anna and he live in Auckland. He is a security guard in a hospital. He uh, doesn't make a whole lot, but he's continuing his education. He's about to finish a master's degree in global... Where's Barry? Where's Barry? Global, global development. He's sending a big chunk of his income back to Kenya, supporting his aging mother. His father died many years ago, helping his siblings go through school and higher education, education, supporting other kids that aren't in his family in Kenya to go through these programs. And he also financially supports World Vision in New Zealand. And that's what he is choosing to do, because I believe that my friend Vitalis knows that he is chosen for something extraordinary. And if you met him, you would be, you'd know this is an extraordinary guy. He's got this poise about him. This grace, this, I know God. I don't need many choices, but I'm choosing to do this. Wouldn't you say, Barry, he's just got this thing that I wish I had more of. And so, this morning is a chosen event. Well, what is chosen about? Well, for the last 70 years, World Vision Child Sponsorship has usually been done something like this. People like this in a room would be looked, asked to look into a sea of faces of children living in poverty. And we would be asked to choose which one we wanted. And in 2000, when I first did that, I chose the prettiest little girl in Rwanda who looked cute. And over 20 years of doing this, I've noticed that the cute little girls and boys who, they get chosen first. Because we can't even turn that into a pure extension of being chosen by God. We still even turn that. And I'm including myself here. Please don't take me as finger waggy, you know. That's how, we are so inundated with too many choices. We turn even that into an a la carte menu. You know? So tonight, this morning, it's not how it works. We're going to give some choices to children. To, like, what choices could we do without that cost $50 a month? 
How many choices is it really going to cost you to do with that $50 a month? Or for two children, $100 a month. Or if you need the math help, $350 a month. So that we can give children who have so few choices a, tr a life-transformative choice. I've got another movie to show you. This goes for about two minutes. Please throw your attention to the screen here. So your leadership and the team from World Vision and I have been planning this for a long time, talking about it, bringing all the details together. This is what's going to happen. Shore Community Church is partnering with a particular community in Uganda. Uganda is a little tiny landlocked country, central eastern Africa, one of the poorest countries in the world, a little bit smaller than the, than the landmass of New Zealand, but with a population of about 44 million. Extreme poverty rates, which means less than $1.25 a day is what you're trying to support yourself on, is about 40%, and it's going up because of COVID. But not just all of Uganda. We're partnering with a particular community in Uganda. There's a, there's a World Vision community development program in a place called Lalagi Lakwana. Now, if you know much about Uganda and its history, you'll notice far north Uganda... Well, that's Joseph Coney land. Some of the children who are connected with World Vision and being helped used to be soldiers in Joseph Coney's barbaric slave army. There are kids there who are really messed up. But they're not. They're chosen. And in two Sundays' time, there's going to be a reveal party like you saw on the video here at Shaw on the 28th of March. There's going to be some envelopes out in the foyer somewhere, and hopefully it's going to have, one of them's going to have your name on it. Hopefully. Maybe more than one. And somewhere between today in Lalagi Lakwana, Uganda, between today and the 28th of March, there's going to be a choosing party. And these kids, who get so few choices, will choose which photograph represents the person that they will sponsor. And they will have their photograph taken and write you a letter. And that's what's going to be waiting for you here on March 28th. And I don't have any photographs of the children in that exact program, but I've just found some photographs. In fact, World Vision gave me some photographs of other kids in a very similar Ugandan uh, community development program. So not these kids, different kids, but kids like these kids. And not just kids, but families and villages and communities will be transformed by our partnership from Shaw Community Church in Auckland with the Lalagi Lakwana. And so I want to, at that point, hand over to Reuben. And we'd love you to hear what Ruben's got to say about this. Just briefly, add voice of support from our church uh, for this project. Michael, Michael and I were on a, a Zoom call on uh, Wednesday night with Uganda, which is the amazing uh, opportunity that we had to be able to connect with them on the other side of the world. They were just waking up. We were just going to bed. But to be able to talk to some of the World Vision managers in Uganda about the work that they're doing, 
and just learn and, and hear what's happening there. Uh, and, and it was impressive, the strategic nature of what they're doing. I think what, what impressed me is, is just how intentional and how well-planned, strategic and purposeful it is, but also how holistic that mission is. The way that World Vision's engaging with kids over there is, is very holistic. So they're meeting physical needs. It's things like uh, fresh water supply into schools, in Ugandan schools, so that kids can have access to fresh drinking water. Uh, it's meeting holistic needs around kids' well-being. So they're training community leaders. They're training pastors, local churches. They're partnering with churches to be able to run programs and run courses on the well-being of children and, and neonatal care and infant care and these sorts of things. And they're connecting with this from a faith perspective, from a Christian perspective. So there is the Christian element that's interwoven right through all of this. But it's, it's such valuable work that they're doing. It's meaningful work and it's purposeful work. And that's where our focus is going to be. Uh, it's incredible to hear the way that that child sponsorship program is making a huge difference in the completion rates of kids getting through school. So there's plenty of kids that will start their schooling over there, and, and then the drop-off rate is just massive. So through this child, child sponsorship program, kids are going right through the system, able to complete schooling. And the stories that we heard, I think it was one story of is it the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in Uganda was a sponsored child through that program. So he's come through and is now the significant church leader. And so... You know, every, every story is different, but the opportunity that this is creating for children over there is very, very significant. So I just want to encourage you from a, from a local, our pastor perspective, to connect with this and commit to this and, and sign up to be chosen. This is incredibly valuable work, and it connects to who we want to be as a church that's part of the mission of God in the world. As Grant and I talked about this, one of the scriptures that came to our minds this week was the words of Jesus. I think it's Matthew 25, where he says, whatever you do or whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And we talked about how as we do this, we don't want to do this from a position of superiority. Like it's very easy to do that from a position of kind of this, this paternalistic, I'm this rich Westerner, I'm going to help you poor person to have a better life. But as we do this and we take seriously the words of Jesus, what we know is that we are meeting Jesus in the faces of these children. That we're meeting the risen Jesus and we're meeting him exactly where he said he'd be. In the faces of those who are often last in the eyes of the world, who are often least, and who are often left behind. So think about it that way, that you're not doing this in some kind of superior colonial kind of way. This is actually about an opportunity to serve Jesus and in fact meet Jesus and see Jesus in the eyes of these children, in the stories of these children and to serve Jesus as you serve these kids. So I want to add my support to what Grant is saying and really encourage you to commit to this, to sign up to be chosen this morning. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.